This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Hi, Christine. Hi, Hannah. Welcome. It is so great to have you here. I'm so glad to be here virtually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I've, I came across you on Instagram like so many people have, and I know that you've been in conversation at CIS before, and mm-hmm. you and I share a deep and abiding love for the Enneagram. So it is yes. really exciting to be with you tonight and um, and to talk about connection and right (laughs) it's a whole different ballgame now it really is yeah yeah and we started sort of conceptualizing this uh um, you know several weeks ago when it was about like the pandemic and now culture is shifting again so radically and rapidly and here we are and there's so much going on in the world and so just kind of naming that as our starting place of there's a lot of complexity informing how how this conversation probably will unfold tonight absolutely absolutely yeah and so i thought maybe we could just kick off with your vision or your how you live connection a little bit Talk about what this has meant for you over time and also from from this sort of new starting point that we're living into right now. Yeah. So it's obviously it's been a whiplash time. Um, I was in quarantine for a number of weeks and then went straight from quarantine to community organizing and protesting. <laughs> so um I I feel like connection for me is evolving in real time. Um, I have been a child of the internet um, for my, most of my adult life. I joined Twitter when I was um, 19 or 20, when it was first beginning like a decade ago and um, really have made almost all of my connections through that one website. Um, And as someone who was very sheltered and a very um, fundamentalist kind of upbringing, for me, um, the internet has been a space to be exposed to ideas and experiences that I would never have had access to before. Mm-hmm. So for me, when, when people talk about the evils of the internet, I'm like, the internet means access to me. The internet means that I am able to learn from um, black womanist scholars. The internet means that I'm able to um, interact with other queer folks and find out more about my own identity because of that. Um, But I do think that during quarantine, I realized that there was almost for me um, as an empath, a little bit of a connection overload because it was all digital. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had so many unread text messages, which known for being great at responding to anyway. and, you know, just notifications and direct messages and, and Zoom calls, um, there have been so many different ways to connect with people. And so um, I realized, okay, even though I'm not out in the world doing things, I'm going to have to be more intentional about how I center myself, get connected with true self for, for me, and then you know, be able to reach out from, from that space, like pre pandemic, it seemed very easy to kind of balance IRL and URL lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that hasn't really been a thing, but now, um, kind of getting back, getting back to work. I, one of my many jobs is as an essential worker, as a barista Um, and so I went back to work and I realized just how much I take for granted those in-person, um, connection moments, because when you see someone every day, you don't think twice about it. You don't 
think to ask intentionally about that person's well-being. You know, you're just, you're kind of vibing, you're hanging out. Um, and so I realized every person that I got to see once I left quarantine was really, really, spe- it was a special moment every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Almost to an overwhelming extent, but it did make me feel like, okay, I have to, I have to be intentional about connecting with the people that I care about, um, regardless of whether or not I get the opportunity to see them in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of as we've evolved um, into community organizing and returning to that work, um, for me, it has meant a lot of, obviously, as a white person, a lot of listening, but also I've been exposed to anti-racism for many years now. It's not new to me. And so I feel um, I feel a specific responsibility to um, engage with other white people who might be fur- further behind in their um, study or their discovery of white supremacy than me. Um, yeah, so there's there's lots of really exciting new connections that we can dig into, but that's sort of been my experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about for you? Yeah, I mean, you said so much, and I, I was listening, <laughs> and I was thinking, well, okay, I'm the generation before, so I'm, I'm a Gen X person, even though Millenniagram speaks to my heart so oh. dearly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, so I, I am not a digital, I'm not a child of the digital world. Sure. Um, although I was part of the first dot-com bubble mm. back in the 90s, back in the day. Um, <laughs> and um, for me, online has also been a place where connection has always been a deep fascination. So the digital world hasn't seemed sort of, like you said, you know, the evil, the evils of online life, right? <laughs> you know, it, it really does have its pitfalls. And, and um, there are times when I notice a hesitancy to connect via social media that I often wonder if people who are more millennial have hmm. a take on in terms of their emotional state in sure. the engagement process, I notice that sometimes I get caught up in the uh, IRL versus URL debate and where <laughs> I want to go with that. So just noticing that. And the reality of it is, is that I have been working remotely and essentially in online venues off and on for about 12 years now. Wow. And so this world feels a little bit like IRL for me. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Um, and you mentioned being an empath and I, I super resonate with that as well. And one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about, and I haven't gotten to spend a lot of time on, but maybe it can percolate a little bit in this conversation too, is that I've heard people throw out that it's really not possible to experience empathy in the virtual space. And oh, interesting. I don't experience that at all. Um, I experience really deep connection um, I'm actually a coach and I work online. I work through. through okay. Yeah. Clients, and the bond there can be super strong. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about the Enneagram tonight. And of course, I immediately being a type four and type fours like to talk <laughs> about their own personal experience, as you know. Um, I wonder sometimes, is it is it just me? And I think that my clients who are not fours, and I think that the people that I spend time with who are not fours, I'd be really curious to hear what they have to say, but I have a feeling that they experience connection too. So yeah. Maybe in our conversation, we can kind of do this IRL, URL. Yeah, I would love to. I haven't gotten to be back out in the world quite as much as you have. I'm still sure. at the, the pretty much quarantined stage. Um, okay. And I'm, I'm starving for that. <laughs> I'm starving for being amongst humans in real life. Um, and yeah. that hunger has gotten intensified. Um, I, I spend most of my time in Florida now and, you know, my city's opening right back up. Like, of course, really happen. <laughs> and, um, and, but I'm not in that practice either. So sure. a lot of conflicting feelings too. I mean, I, I, I imagine in my own experience, it's brought up a lot of conflicted feelings, the whole experience of quarantine. And I right. imagine that's true for other people as well. Absolutely. 
Um, I, you mentioned something really interesting about the empath experience. I imagine, um, and this is just kind of me spitballing, but I imagine that those who maybe would not self-identify as empaths, um, maybe do struggle to connect empathically with others via the internet. I know for me, um, I, it is almost, it is almost more that I experience, um, an empathic connection with someone over the internet because there's a certain, um, there's a certain calming nervous system when I'm face to face with somebody, um, where I'm this deluge of information all at once, you know, things are kind of happening in a conversation where, going back and forth. Um, but I'm finding on the internet, um, just reading about trauma constantly and having that just absolutely flooding my brain at all times. It almost feels like it hits me faster empathically than maybe it would in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, I think that there, there's definitely, um, an Enneagram connection there. I don't think it's just fours. Um, I know a lot of eights who would self-identify as empaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's there for twos as well. I think threes are maybe in denial about it. Um, uh, we love you threes. Yeah, we love you so much. <laughs> um, my partner is a three. He is very lovely. Um, I think nines, um, what I, what I experience talking to nines a lot is that they, are so empathically connected to what they experience on the internet that they literally shut it out um, mm-hmm. in a much more like self-defensive mode than maybe I would. Um, maybe I have something to learn from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are different numbers that I have seen interact online in um, similar patterns um, as one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the title of this talk is Cultivating Connection. Yes. Um, In the science of friendship work that I've done um, in terms of how that works professionally or in in business arenas, I've talked about it as nurturing networks. And it Mm. kind of all feels very similar. But in terms of this cultivation part, have you found that your intentionality or your consciousness around being in connection or staying in connection has changed since we've gone into this new way of being in relationship with each other? Yes. I think that, um, for me, I have had to audit the ways that I, for me as a millennial, um, there is, I don't put a lot of thought into who I immediately connect with. I follow people very quickly, Um, if, if I sense that we have even some common interest, um, I just, I make the connection, um, and then, you know, decide further on down if I want to continue a conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. But I've realized that perhaps one of the downsides to living online so much is that there are so many people that I would call friends and yet we don't really check in on each other. We don't know the intimate details of one another's lives. Um, you know, if one of us was to take a break from one of the social media platforms that we are on a lot, maybe I don't hear about that person's life for a few months. And is that true friendship? Um, it seems more like an acquaintance that I like a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, so I've sort of had to, um, audit what friendship means to me And not in a way of, well, I think originally once I started to realize, wow, there's a disparity between um, who I consider a friend and how we actually interact with one another, how how integrated we are into each other's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I'm having to pay attention to that, to notice that and realize, okay, I need to not be... um, digitally enmeshed with people that I'm not actually in daily relationship with. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have them as a contact. It's okay to talk to one another, to affirm one another, to be interested in one another's lives. But, you know, maybe that's not someone that should be 
considered a close friend in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I feel like I'm having to get a lot more, um, detailed about, um, how I'm organizing (laughs) people in my mind. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like your social relationship circles might've changed. Yes. Like the inner circle is different than the the circles going out a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's so much research in, in friendship studies. Well, friendship is the least studied of all relationship dynamics. I don't know if you know that, but that- I heard you say that on your talk and I was like, wow. Yeah, I know. I know. And part of it is that it's very hard to figure out how people make friends. Mm. It's not the same. There's like formulas to romantic connection and kin connections are considered something different. But in the research, it's actually- kind of hard to get down to the science of friendship, which is why it was such a, an interesting topic for me to kind of dive into. And I, I'm not a, a sociometrics kind of person, so I, sure. I haven't been building algorithms around this, but <laughs> some of what I do know is that, that those boundary lines between like the inner circle and then as we go out, the wider circles of what we would call, and this sounds so terrible, but sometimes we refer to them as weak links, Uh, I know, right? It sounds horrible. But what that just means is those are the people that you don't, that aren't in your inner circle. Sure. And it sounds like you're kind of in that process of like deciphering who that Uh is. Uh huh. I wonder if that has anything to do with there not being, for all of the other relationships, there are accepted cultural contracts that you make with one another. Like, we are deciding to be in relationship, whereas friendship is such, it's a much more fluid thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes the people that maybe do share all of the same interests as me are not who I actually want to call when I'm having a bad day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And there's a way in which, well, more than 50% of people in the United States don't live in the place that they were born. Mm. And the the migratory patterns of people are so overwhelming that <laughs> the and and the thing that keeps us connected is ongoing contact. Yeah. And so there's also like this this way in which it's it seems like it's becoming more difficult to have that intentionality to to have unintentional connection. Mm. Right. 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 Serendipity doesn't really exist anymore, especially in quarantine. <laughs> right. It's not like you're bumping into someone in the grocery store. And if you are, you're in a mask and you're staying socially distant and you're saying, hey, I'll Zoom you Please later. Don't, to me. don't touch me. Don't hug me. You know. Right. And so it's like uh, the way that, that we may have taken for granted how we connect, I think, has, has had to pop much more firmly into consciousness in a way that means that we might have to think about the rules of engagement a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who has studied the science of friendship, what do you, um, if you had, if you had to guess about how, um, cultivating connection will look like for us going forward, do you see any new patterns forming? Hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that, that, people are going to be scheduling contact Mm. in more formal ways. I just went back to sort of people with their calling cards in, in Victorian (laughs) times who would come and bring their calling card and say, would you let, you know, miss so-and-so know that I have stopped by that it's it's so formal before. Then it went to this sort of informal you know, oh, hey, maybe we'll see each other. I'll catch you later. I'll bump into you. I'll see you at a party. And we don't have those right now. And who knows when that will be part of our social fabric again. And so it seems to me from what I'm noticing that people are having to schedule calls. Um, I know a community um, in Santa Cruz where I used to live and they're the local hangout crew who always gathered at their favorite watering hole has started doing online connection at least once a week because right. they don't talk into each other anymore. They don't have that. <laughs> and so how do we, we have to maintain in some way. And so I think more and more of that on like the social level is probably going to be really necessary. And 
when you and I were kind of chatting earlier, you know, we had both noticed or had made note of the fact that different Enneagram types may have different needs and requirements and styles around this too. What are your, what's your thought on that? Like this idea that your, your Enneagram core type may influence how, when, and with whom you want to cultivate connection. Yeah. So, I mean, um, for me as a four, I, I have, and, and this also might be due to, I was raised very nomadically. Um, we never stayed in one place for long. And I noticed that I've carried some of those patterns into adulthood, both, um, in positive and to my detriment in some ways. But, um, I would say, um, for me as a four words of affirmation are really important to me. So I don't necessarily need to be on FaceTime with you for five hours. Um, but I just receiving like thoughtful notes from my friends. Um, I started, um, just collecting, collecting little gifts from around the house and, you know, sanitizing them and then dropping little bags in front of my houses just because I wanted them to know that I was thinking of them. Um, and you know, just receiving, uh, a thoughtful text to me means a lot and it, and it goes a long way towards feeling connected with somebody, but I'm also an introvert. So I don't need, I don't need the hordes of time with someone that another type might need. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I find, you know, I, I have a partner who well, I have two partners, actually I have a partner who's an eight and a partner who's a three. Um, and they both experience connection very differently. Um, the eight, uh, ha- she has been very, um, she has, like connection in person connection is very important to her, but she also has this capacity to turn on, like we're in go mode. We're in, we're in work mode. Um, and that can wait. Like it, we don't have to do that right now. Um, and then of course, you know, I, I'm lucky to live in a house with a family. So we do get connection with one another almost too much where we're like, just get me some space. <laughs> I, I can't breathe in here. Um, and, but I've noticed from my partner who's a three, um, he doesn't really, he doesn't really call his friends. He doesn't really, um, connect with them in those kinds of ways. And so, um, the not being able to go out and meet someone for drinks or, um, having that scheduled experience is really hard for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a couple social distancing things where we've had friends like come sit on the opposite side of an alley and we're sitting on the other side and we're just, we both brought our own bottle of wine and we're just talking to one another from across the way. And it sounds so silly, but, um, sometimes just being able to look at somebody and get that nonverbal communication is really key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm an extroverted for. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. So for me, I'm like, I need to go deep as fours do. Yes. In conversation. Our conversational style tends to be, oh, let's dive in deep and just like go there. Tell me everything. Tell me everything. And I'll tell you everything. <laughs> right. Uh, and because I'm an extrovert, I want to do that as a process. Um, mm. so yeah, I could, I could do that five hour FaceTime very, <laughs> very, comfortably, very comfortably. Um, and yet I, I I'm married to, uh, an introverted six. Mm. It's a bit much like it's too much. Sure. sure. My introverted six wife wants space and yeah. likes a lot of downtime and will connect and wants to connect. But the, the, there's a, a way in which um, I'm having to fine tune my own radar and be really conscious. Oh about, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm asking for the, like, let's go deep all the time. <laughs> and not everybody's wanting, will want to do that with me. So um, how does she send out the not right now signal to you? Oh my goodness. There's so many ways she's, <laughs> she's listening right now too, but I'll just, do, I'll do like a little performance art. <laughs> 
you know, it's sort That's of the, monosyllable. Like, oh, like I'm, sure. I'm, do, I'm doing something, you know, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, there's even in the zoom environment, um, I'm picking up on those cues in a new way. And mm -hmm. I encourage other people to start to notice this too. It's like, if you have a seven friend, notice if your seven friend starts to be distracted by everything else going on outside of the call, that's a hint that the call's probably over. <laughs> that's a great that's a point. That the seven has probably moved on to something else. Sure. Right? The two might most likely stay on the call with you as long as you continue to go, even if that is not what- Even if they're ready to be done. Be done, right? So remembering, you know, as a four, I have two very, very dear two friends and I've had to really start to learn in a way that in person I can pick it up a lot quicker. But yeah. I really started to look at, are you done with this conversation? Is our connection, is our connection good for now? We can both move on from this. Mm. And that's, I think, something that's really important to this conversation that had I hadn't yeah. quite sparked on was yeah. the quality of connection. Mm. How we may have to learn new ways to get clear about that, that we haven't had to really do in the same way, or some of us haven't done in the same sure. way. Sure. Yeah, I, I, that's a really great point because I'm thinking about it now. Um, I can only do, as an introvert, I can only do, you know, so many FaceTimes or Zoom calls in a week. But that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking of the person that I'm going to talk to on Wednesday every day leading up to the call. So I start just like gathering, um, uh, like I'll start a little note in my phone of uh, things that I want to bring up with them when I get the chance to talk to them, um, which is interesting because in the past, I probably would have just sent a text the moment that I thought of it. But but yes, because I know I have this scheduled time that I'm going to talk to this person, it's more like, okay, I'm, I'm, gathering, I'm gathering these things because I really do want to see their facial expressions. I want to see how they relate to and interact with me. Um, I want to see their face, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that, that I am so interested in is how loneliness Ooh. has changed yeah in this time and and i don't know why but something about how you were talking about like gathering information so that you could really relish that there was something really yes. tender about what you were saying and it made me think about the people for whom connection isn't happening as consciously or often or that there's fewer opportunities for that Right. Um, and there's a, there's a formal clinical definition of loneliness, which is the perception of social isolation. Right. I remember you saying that in your talk and I was like, that was a light bulb moment for me too. Right. So even, even if someone is sharing a home or, you know, has people in their environment or is busy work-wise or some other reason through digital connection, a person might still be feeling lonely because right. they're perceiving themselves as isolated in some right. way. And it might be that the quality of the connection isn't clicking. Sure. And I think quality is harder to come by now. Um, and so there does have to be this intentionality. I do, when you mentioned the word tender, I do feel like there is a tenderness rising to the surface for me because it feels so important every day to um, actively show the people that I care about that I do. There may be there may be a little bit of insecurity there about oh I I don't want them to forget about me, um, mm -hmm. but I do think most of it comes from a place of um, life feels really precious. We have sort of left this. Um, the comfortability of normalcy that we had previously. Um, and it feels, it feels pressing to me to engage with the people that I care about in, um, in ways that require more work up front from me. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm actually finding that I take a lot of, um, I take a lot of excitement from 
putting more intentionality into those conversations and those connections. Mm -hmm. What type of advice, advice, right? Such a loaded word, right? What's your take or how would you support someone who was having that experience of feeling that, that type of loneliness? Oof. And you're walking in so many different worlds. I think that's why I'm asking that question. Yeah, I do. I, I have a lot of different spaces that I navigate. Um, I know that I have friends um, that I have made online that live lonely lives um, because they, they'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, that's again, it's very important to me to be um, careful about how much I take on that, uh, that labor, um, because I have a history of codependency. I tend to get too, too connected to people too quickly, um, which I believe is a trauma response, but, um, wow. I, I, I would recommend if, uh, if advice is helpful here, I think, um, waiting for someone to reach out to you is probably just going to cause you more suffering. Um, and I don't think that you should reach out to people indiscriminately, um, just out of desperation. Um, I would make a very short list of a couple of people that, are the first people that you want to tell about um, your sadness or your joy, and then just um, find ways to really reach out to them. I know for me, I'm rather new to, I live in Sacramento, California. And um, when I moved here, I didn't have, I had my partners, but I didn't know anyone else. I didn't have any longstanding friendships. Um, and I had experienced some, some pretty significant loss around that, um, recently. And I just didn't put myself out there to connect with people here because, well, for a variety of my own insecurities and stuff. So, um, since the pandemic hit, I have realized, wow, there are about three or four people that I really miss being able to see. Um, I want to have them be a part of my life. So how am I, how am I going to take the initiative to show them that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me that has been healing because regardless of whether or not they reciprocate in the ways that I wish they would, um, I am still, I am taking action to meet that need for myself. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. That's such a, a, a critical thing that you just talked about right there, taking action for yourself. Yep. Right. Right. <laughs> and getting really clear through the lens of the Enneagram about what communication styles work. Some people right. are more comfortable doing an outreach by text. Some people are phone callers. Some people are video callers. Right. Um, some people thrive in social media platforms, right? Like getting clear <laughs> about that and knowing that you can work true to type. Yeah. There should be some expectation that it has to look some other way. Start with, start with where you are in your own strengths seems really critical too in this, in this, like the tension between wanting to reach out, feeling isolated, right. That point that can get brought up in that. Absolutely. And I, I think too, when it, when we talk about type, I think it's important to realize that you have certain friends who are going to respond. Um, they're going to respond to different kinds of outreach um, so I know I have one friend who, um, she's very verbal. She's always, you know, just outpouring lots of heartfelt thoughts and feelings. So I know that I can lavish that attention on her and she will receive it, um, in kind. But I have another friend who's a five and they are, when they are in person with you, they are absolutely there. They are on point, they are listening actively. They're um, they're thinking of wonderful questions to ask you, but they probably aren't going to respond to your text. So if I just deluge them with love and affection, 
via text message and they don't respond, well, that's kind of me not paying attention to their communication style rather than um, some slight towards me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting increasingly aware of what does this person and and I've had I've had recently a lot of very um, the kind of friendship conversations that just feel weird to have as an adult, um, but but I don't think they should. Um, oh, like um, I had a conversation with a friend the other day where I said, you know, I feel weird telling you about. I feel weird sending a long text message about, you know, what a bad day I had or how I'm struggling um, because I'm worried that I'm going to be dumping on you. And um, since I'm not going to see you in person, it feels weird to just text this long book of information. And so we, we had a very, um, we had a very active boundary conversation where she said, you know, thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think, you know, a check-in before you send a long thing like that might be good. Um, I'll always let you know if I'm, if I have the time and the space to, to answer you, or I will say, I'll read it and I'll let you know, I'm going to respond tomorrow. And so we just had this very like kind of detailed communication interaction where we figured out what, how we could do that with one another while not being able to see each other. Right. It's that whole, <laughs> it's the whole premise of, I have, I, I may need to, to have conversations that I never thought to have before because there's just no taking for granted that there'll be another time to do it. Right. Right. There might and not. I do think it's bringing boundaries, the conversations around boundaries to the forefront, which I think is good for all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was at a conference last week and we were talking about how it was a great conference. It was all about expressive arts therapy and education and oh, really fancy. I know. And there were so many people <laughs> on, on this zoom call. And one of the things that came up was sort of the, this, this story about how, you know, back, back in the day, um, we all envisioned that we would have video call, right? <laughs> George Jetson. Right, right. This. So there was this idea of like, oh, someday in the future we'll have this. But I, I don't think that those dreams were to the exclusion of in-person connection. Mm. And so something that I'm noticing in, in my personal experience, but I'm also hearing from other people is that grief is really strong for mm. people around the pandemic and around the disconnection. And grief has also really started to be talked about in terms of our social engagements as a nation, uh, a nation divided. And so there's all this collective grief for a lot of different reasons. And it's, it's um, but the pandemic, it's been so sudden. Right. Right. And with talks and conversations about racism in this country, it's historical. So it's like these two forms of grief colliding. And yes. a lot of us also don't really know how to do grief. Mm -hmm. And we're just kind of, you know, we all are back to work. Grin and bear it. Another and grin and bear it and putting on these, these ways of, of like setting aside the time of grieving in order to keep going and, I just think that the impact of that has had an impact on our ability to connect too. Mm. And we may not know how to hold space for that particular kind of grief unless it's named in the way that you just did. Like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, yes, my life did change drastically and the way that I seek connection just changed drastically and that deserves, that deserves um, space. A beat maybe? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how we connect in times of grief. Mm. I think people do it so differently. And some people have sort of lifelong grief. Some people have intergenerational grief. There's all kinds of it, but right. it's, it's a, it's a wake in a way that, that ha seems new for many people too. And, and I just, I don't know that we have the tools or that we 
we, I'm saying that so universally. Right, right. And I don't even mean it universally. It's more of a, when it pops up for individuals as they're noticing, I don't know how to hold this. Right. It's, it's a resourcing question in a lot of ways. Yes. And I, even as you're saying that, I'm thinking too. So for me, um, as you know, as a survivor of, um, I talk, I, I have in the past on Twitter talked a lot about religious trauma, um, sexual trauma. You know, I, I have made a lot of connections with people online that have turned out to kind of be trauma bonds because we, we shared similar experiences and we were coming out of this, you know, horrific ordeal, but we, we didn't really have the same values and ethics as one another, but we connected so deeply because we had this shared pain. And what I'm noticing a lot now is even as you mentioned grief, we have this shared grief of the pandemic. Um, and then also we have, we are, we are being asked and we have to ask ourselves to hold space for grief that is very foreign to us. So especially for us as white folks, we are seeing um, this outpouring of very understandable pain from black folks mm -hmm. and people of color. And just, we don't, we don't know that we don't know that grief. And so um, when you say we don't know how to hold it, we're experiencing two very significant kinds. That's a shared grief. And then there's a foreign grief and we're asking ourselves to hold, to expand, to hold space for both of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. does require resources that we have not probably previously amassed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I'm really influenced by, um, relational cultural theory or the idea that we grow in connection that yeah. we aren't these isolated selves um, right and that that as a resource is so powerful but if we're not cultivating relationship we we don't have the tools we don't have um the ability to really tap into the connection as a form of um, <clears throat> really, um, finding one another, but also finding our own groundedness Yeah, or finding yeah. that place to feel healing. Um, and this is kind of leading me into a thought bubble. Okay. Right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how do we do all of this? How do we do connection? How do we, how do we, what tips might we each offer if, if you were to offer like two really great things that have really worked for you, let's say in the yeah. past three months, that's worked for you. So I have, um, I've actually joined a couple of groups that have happened rather organically online, um, around, um, common goals. So, um, I, there was, there were, I, so I live in Sacramento. There was a local, um, black yoga instructor here who said, you know, where, where are, where are the white people who are speaking up about this in my city? And so a bunch of us reached out, we direct message her. And then she said, great, give me your emails. Let's all get on a zoom call. And all of a sudden now I'm a part of this group that I was not even expecting to join, but, uh, it's, you know, full of people with a bunch of different skills that are different from my own. Mm -hmm. um, who are also working virtually um, to continue the work of anti-racism in our city. Um, I joined another one. I, a lot of this has happened through Instagram. I follow people that are saying, that are talking about things that I care about, mm -hmm. and then I continue following them. And um, another one, I joined a, a class that one of my um, – one of my favorite follows on Instagram said, I'm going to teach an eight week class on trauma and intimacy if you'd like to join. And I said, I got nothing but time, sign me up. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've joined a couple of different groups like that where I'm connecting with people that are not just um, random follows on Twitter or Instagram, but they're people that were connected by a common interest and we are interested in learning together 
and expanding together. Um, so that has been, that has been something super practical that I've been doing. Um, and it has happened organically, but it is definitely because of the specific, um, things that I'm seeking to learn about. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I seek to live my life as a lifelong learner. So, um, I never feel like I've arrived at anything and especially, you know, being out of, um, the, being out of actual school, um, I've trying to connect with people who are doing similar research as myself. So that mm-hmm. might be kind of niche. Um, I'm trying to think how, how have you been connecting with others in new ways online? Mm-hmm. So it's such a great question. Um, I feel so fortunate that I am a lifelong person living in education as part of the yeah. CIS community. So <laughs> connection is, is, through that community is so, uh, it, it's an ongoing experience for me that I feel really privileged to have and gifted sure. to have. Um, so that is, that's a workplace form of connection. Sure. Um, and so for some people, if, if they're, if they're working, what might be some novel ways to, you know, I, I ask myself this question and talk to my clients a lot about this, you know, how to create some, some, more uh, fulfilling or more bondy type of work conversations in Mm. this type of environment. Um, I often work with a lot of people in management and I'm hearing things like, we can't just have meetings. We've got (laughs) to build in, you know, we've got to save in, right. It's like, you can't just like dive right into the meeting. There needs to be some, some even more focused attention in workplaces for the human connection part Mm. because things are so artificial. And a lot of people don't know how to work remotely because they've been in office culture for so long. And so, you know, in terms of the workplace, it's like, let's all take it to the next level of really remembering that we are human beings in bodies that attune to one another, literally, and that we do that part, that that's not just a formality or a nicety, it's a necessity. So it's not just small talk. Exactly. It's not makes us human beings to one another. So like, if you are in a workplace, you know, one recommendation might be talk to your manager about creating a little more opportunity for that, or, you know, find some some of your teammates that have, that feel, you know, that you would rely on in that way in the work environment and make time for that. That's, that's yeah. part of how we bond at work. Um, and then in, in like social life, I have two thoughts about this. Okay. One is, I think it's more important than ever to have alone time, like good, solid, healthy alone time, not checkout time, not numbing time, not avoiding yeah. time. That distinction but, is important. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, Netflix and I have developed an <laughs> even stronger relationship with the pandemic, I won't lie. But, you know, this way of, of like giving yourself some time to really feel your feelings, mm. take a breath, you know, really appreciate yourself yeah. so that when you are reaching back out for connection, you're bringing with you that energy. That's a really important piece, I think. So I've created, and <laughs> my partners will laugh, but um, I've created sort of a weekly ritual where I will have date night with myself. Mm-hmm. And um, in the past, I would have left the house Um, I don't do that anymore, but I just, um, I take the opportunity to be a little bit selfish and it's hard in a family with six people, but, um, I just say, Hey, listen, Monday night, I need the living room and I'm going to camp out. I'm going to, um, I'm going to read a book that I've been really excited to read and I'm going to read it in silence or I'm going to, um, or I'm going to watch a movie just, just me and myself or, um, I've created like a little altar space where I'll burn incense and just kind of like center myself very intentionally because since I do live in a house with a lot of people, um, alone time is harder to come by and it has to be 
I've had to get so much more creative. Um, right now we are in my quarantine office, which is literally the only room in the house that had a little bit of extra space was the bathroom. <laughs> Strangely, there's a lot of floor space. So I bought a tiny little desk and created my little office in here. And, um, but yeah, it's required a creativity that it didn't require before. Mm -hmm. Right. And that alone time is, is about renewal so that connections can be fresh. Yes. Yes. That's one thing that I think is super important. Um, and I say that for myself as much as for anyone else. <laughs> right. You know, circling back to the Enneagram, type fours often, as I know you know, have a bit of a tendency to withdraw in yes. for a variety of different reasons. And there's a way in which that the life of the mind is so active and so busy. There's a lot of fantasy that goes on. Uh-huh. Thinking about mm -hmm. the future, thinking about the past, thinking about everything about except what is. All of those conversations that I would have had given the opportunity. Exactly. Right. And so that's not what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. I'm right. talking more about the, it doesn't have to be even like a specified practice. I love what you're saying about date night with yourself, like mm -hmm. getting creative with this. Um, mine is walking. Yeah. I'm doing five miles a day right now. And I've, I'm Whoa. like, amazing to I'm me impressed. that is the renewal that is the place where my brain after work my brain gets to recalibrate my nervous system gets to recalibrate and all of a sudden i'm ready for re-engagement yeah and so self-care isn't just like a, a cheap one-off it's really about making sure that that i feel like i'm in my skin so that when i'm connecting <laughs> with other people i'm not like i'm so hungry for attention <laughs> so that's one thing um and i know that a lot of people are quarantining alone and so that tension around too much alone time i think can be really legit Oof. as well yeah and can I be kind of brutal and so in terms of connecting from that perspective um Calendaring things in seems like a really important part too. Scheduling time for connection. Um, yeah. And if it's feeling like there aren't a lot of deep connections or there aren't enough to fill your card, I love your idea about classes. Um, in, in my mind, I would even imagine that, you know, some of the big, like, uh, they used to be called MOOCs back in the day, you know, the, the giant classes of like a thousand oh, yeah. people all at once that may not fulfill the need so much. Um, so finding like a class that's being offered locally or mm -hmm. a class that, you know, we it, here in St. Pete, we have these amazing, amazing arts communities and social communities and activist communities. And they're, they're starting to really use the online space for smaller group connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for any of the Enneagram types, like really being able to show up and, and be in conversation in those environments can be really helpful and really, really nurturing. Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think it's important to, um, for me, when it comes to the Enneagram, like the, we may not have time to get into all of it, but um, the childhood wounds to me are really important because they're recurring themes that come up for the different numbers. Um, and again, it, it seems really important to notice, um, maybe even your mind isn't consciously thinking about that need, but your body may be showing you in different ways if you pay attention. Um, Will you give just like a blip of how you view the, the childhood wound? I yes. Like yes. How do you work with it? So for me, um, I, I try and that a lot of teachers maybe will not agree with this. Um, but as someone who is, um, a trauma researcher, it's really important to me that, um, so some Enneagram teachers will say the childhood wounds are not real wounds. They're perceived. Some will say they are actual indications of childhood trauma. My thought is a wound either, whether or not it was meant to be a wound or it's simply perceived feels the same in my body. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, so whether it was intentional or not seems almost beside the point. Um, so what I imagine, um, like a little, 
a little child asking a question. So for all of the different parts, the question example for type one is, am I good? Um, the part or the type two is, am I needed? Um, the one for three would be, am I valuable? The one for four would be, am I special? Um, the one for five would be, um, do I know enough? The mm -hmm. one for six would be, am I safe? Um, you know, uh, I can, I mean, I can keep going, but I just we imagine like, we probably have some seven, eights and nines out there. Yes, so that's true. That's true. Okay. Um, I haven't thought of the question for seven specifically, but, um, there is, there's a fear of not having enough, enough, um, experiences, not having enough data. Um, let me think on that one. I'll come back to it. Um, for the eights, the question is, um, well, I think, I think the question for, for eights can be a couple of different things because eights are often, um, they experience some kind of major betrayal as a child. So there is that, am I safe question, but there also is this, um, I imagine a little child like, um, like protect smaller one, mm -hmm. um, like I have this, I have this charge that I have to protect. Right, right. Um, so um, do I feel protect, do I feel protected or do I feel like I have, do I have the power? resources to protect myself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for the nines, can I be calm? Can mm -hmm. I be balanced? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think nine children, we always see like trying to find that equilibrium um, and maybe they can't necessarily in a chaotic household or often um, I've described the nine as kind of the middle child syndrome, although I have been corrected by that in the, in the past, because there are a lot of nines who are oldest or nines who are youngest, but there's this sense of being forgotten. So maybe that the question for a nine would be, am I forgotten? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then um And then maybe for the sevens coming back to that would be, um, I don't want to be afraid. Can I outrun this? Mm -hmm. So there's a sort of sense of keep, keep moving, keep ahead of the fear, keep ahead of, um, whatever might be, um, whatever you might be afraid of. Don't pay attention to the fear. The sixes will focus in on the fear and the sevens will kind of say, I can stay ahead of this if I keep going. Right. Um, and how might those childhood wounds be driving or keeping people from? Right. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that's a question that each of us have to ask ourselves because I think it shows up very uniquely for all of us. Um, I know for me, am I special? Um, am I am I unique? Um, I know for me, I have been. Um, kind of in a time of, um, of turmoil, um, vocationally. And so there's sort of been this sense of, I'm just another person sitting at home. I'm nothing special, like, you know, um, and so it has made me feel a little, um, it, the, the, the reality of pandemic means that I, I can't be out in the world displaying or performing my specialness or uniqueness um, or my deepness. Um, although there is kind of a way to, to do that online. And so I'm, I'm trying to find ways to be vulnerable um, with my close friends and online, but not in ways that are, well, we all need attention. So I, I struggle to even use the word attention seeking because I don't want that to sound negative, but um, the point is, am I, am I displaying, um, words and behavior and art and writing? Is it, is this in line with my true self? Mm -hmm. Um, or am I just putting it out there so that I can get likes and comments and, you know, engagement <laughs> right. and attention? So, um, I think the, the kind or the quality of the attention there maybe is important mm -hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. We are at the close of our time together today. I just want to thank oh. you so much, Hannah. This has just been 
such a treat. I've loved every minute of it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.